Amen. So today we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus always touches our need. Amen. He always touches our need. <clears throat> our needs are a priority with God, or he would not have sent his son to die in our place. Our needs are always important to him. Our needs are always guaranteed to be met. He gives us every provision, everything that we need to make sure that the needs are met. Now, we must cooperate with God. We have a covenant of God that mandates our cooperation, but there's nothing that God requires of us that we can't do. And there's nothing he requires that we aren't already doing in some measure. So today we're going to talk about the fact, and we're going to give some examples in the Bible of people that God met and touched their need. So God knows that our need, what our needs are, and he sent Jesus to make certain that our needs are met. Jesus is our guarantee. Our covenant with God is our guarantee. In Ezekiel 37:27, it talks about the covenant of peace that he has with us. God's covenant of peace with us. Wait a minute, hold it. I think I got the wrong. There's no 27. Well, devil, you are a liar. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hang on. Why don't you turn to Ezekiel 34 and start in 25 and we'll get to our covenant. Ezekiel 34:25 it says and I will make with them a covenant of peace and I will cause the evil beast to cease out of the land and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness or in the desert and sleep in the woods. Isn't that wonderful? That wherever you are, there is safety and there is peace for you. Verse 26, and I will make them a, and the places round about my hill a blessing. So he says he will make us a blessing and every place about us a blessing. And I will cause the shower to come down in his season. There shall be showers of blessing. Now that's not. A little bit. It's been raining in Cleveland for I don't know how many days. I'm thinking if them raindrops was gold coins or something, I'd be rich. (laughs) Amen. But that's exactly what God's saying here. He says there will be showers of blessing just like rain. He says, and the tree of the field shall yield her fruit and the earth shall yield her increase. And they shall be safe in their land and shall know that I am the Lord. When I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them out of the hands of those that serve themselves of them. Now God will make sure that you hold on to what you, what he gives you. There won't be any Bertie Madoffs in your life. You know, many times people get out there and they're greedy and they run into somebody more greedy than they are. That's usually how that happens. But what God blesses us with, he says we will keep it. We'll hold on to it. Nobody's going to be able to steal it. It won't get away from you. He says, and they shall be no more a prey to the heathen. Neither shall the beast of their land devour them. Huh? Your dog won't even bite you. (laughs) Pastor Gigi said he better not. (laughs) Praise the Lord. It says, but they shall dwell safely and none shall make them afraid. It's taking fear away from you. And I will raise up for them a plant of renown and they shall be no more consumed with hunger in the land. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I was looking at a a clip on the news and, and they were saying how the numbers of people applying for emergency food stamps has increased. But you don't have to be one of those people. I mean, thank God we live in a country that won't let you starve if you really need it. But God has a covenant of peace that's so so much uh, uh, taking care of every single item in our lives that he won't even let you go hungry. Hmm? Won't let you do it. Um, what's her name? How many of y'all? Y'all know Della Reese, don't you? Okay. She's a, a what was that angel show she had? Touched by an angel. 
Well, she she was raised a Christian, brought up in a Christian home. Now, she's gotten goofy since she's been grown. You know, she thinks she's a minister and all this and all that. And it's not really a Christian in her ministry. But she says that when she was a kid, um, her dad wasn't in the home a lot. And I think maybe he might have finally walked off and left. And she had a number of brothers and sisters. And she said her mother would sit down at the breakfast table and there was nothing in the house. I mean, nothing in the house to eat. And her mother would pray. And when she was finished praying, she would get up and begin to walk around and sing. And she said she would sing and keep singing. And pretty soon there'd be a knock on the door. Somebody come to that door with food. And she said, it happened so consistently, I was scared of my mother. I said, yeah, you should have been. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That was God shaking you up and making you wise. And she said, I thought she was a witch. Uh You see, our carnal, we we don't even attribute miracles to God too much when you're lost in carnality. But she said repeatedly, over and over and over again, it would happen. She had a covenant of peace with God where she knew God would not let her go hungry or her children go hungry. Amen. As long as you know you have a covenant, you have something with God. Now, God's peace is something that's very important. I'm going to explain to you what peace is. In the Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. And this covenant of peace was given to us to ensure not just physical and material um, contentment or or supply, but it go it went beyond just the mere material. When you have a covenant of peace, you have a covenant that allows for your inner security as well as your outer. How many of you know there are rich people in rehab and jumping off bridges and had every opportunity they could have, and they still they they don't have the shalom. That we have. We, they don't have that covenant of peace. That with your wealth and your riches will go the inner blessing as well. And so the inner is definitely more it's superior to the outer. Because I've been broke and, and sick and I've been well off and sick. And I can tell you that sickness will come to anybody whether you're broke or well off. So you need a covenant of peace. You don't need a covenant of material things only. See, if you only want material things, you don't have to involve God in that. You just go out and get you a gun or get you a, a ski mask or something. You know what I'm talking about. You, you, Or get one of them funny apartments, you know, with no number on it and let people come and knock and you hand them something out of the door and they slip you a bill, you know. You don't need to involve God in just material things. But when we serve God and we are born again, we have a covenant of peace to the degree that nothing is ever wrong or disturbed in our lives, period. We are immovable, unshakable in our composure, in our attitude. We don't worry about things. We're not up all night trying to figure things out. Huh? The Bible says, I lay me down and went to sleep because the Lord sustained me. Huh? And that's, that's your shalom. That's what that peace actually means. Huh? Now, I've been on both sides. I was the kind that would stay up all night worrying. I would worry, and, and it was dark, and then I would see the sun come up, and I was still worried. Huh? Until I met the Lord, and he showed me what was mine with him. And I found out it was real. See, if you can be born a worry wart and then get your healing from God and then wind up being a peaceful person, huh? you can dare the devil. huh? You can dare him to steal from you. I see most people say, oh, wait, devil. I don't even know how to spell that. Huh? You haven't been there yet. Huh? But you can. John G. Lake had many people in his family to die, and he got sick of it. One illness after another. When he met the Lord, he had a very uh, um, lucrative insurance business. And he gave all of that up to serve God. And God. And the devil continued to attack 
people in his family with sickness. And he said he stayed up all night one night watching over his son and praying for him. And then finally, he just looked at, at his boy and he looked up to heaven. He said, God, I thank you for my son. He told the devil, he said, if you can kill him, kill him and do it now. And he gave him like three minutes. huh? And he found out he couldn't kill him. Why? Because he has a covenant of peace with God. Right? You have a covenant of peace. And you have a covenant of strong friendship with God. Huh? Know what strong friendship is? It's one of those friendships that cannot be broken because of your misbehavior. Huh? That we have a God who loves us so much he pursues us even when we're running away from him. Huh? You need to clap. Because most everybody is looking for something. I want somebody to love me for me. Well, you got somebody, huh? I don't even know what that means. When you talk about human beings, they might love you for you today and tomorrow they are loving somebody else. I don't want to go there, do I, brother? Just let me move on. A little bit. Okay. Huh? But a covenant of strong friendship entails somebody who, who doesn't just ignore your wrong. Huh? People will do that because they want to hang on to the relationship for some reason. They just, you know, overlook it, ignore it, and then one day it just piles up so much they explode. Or they start looking for somebody else because they don't know how to enter into strong friendship with people. But God has a covenant of such strong friendship. He promises that if he would ever leave us or forsake us, he would take his own life first. Hmm? That's strong friendship. See, that's somebody who already knows you, knows your down-sitting and uprising, knows your faults, your whatever. And they love you anyway, and they've already stated that they'll never, never, ever leave you, never forsake you. You can't get so bad that he'll just disown you. huh? He'll always forgive you, and then you get righteous again, and you can go on your life with your life as though you'd never sinned. Isn't that wonderful? huh? To have somebody who can really perfect you and help you. As they relate to you. huh? I know a lot of us have a lot of relationships with a lot of people. You know, I remember my late husband would always want to buy me stuff. But it was never the stuff I wanted him to. Can I still go here a little bit? You talk. Huh? It's always, you know, you think you say, well, Lord... You praying for the best, and Lord, I just want you know a dress I can look nice in. And the brother say, "Well, how much? How much them dresses cost?" You see, this is where we in trouble already. You don't need to know, huh? It's gonna hurt your feelings if I tell. I'm trying to spare you some pain, brother. If I don't tell you, huh? Or, or you know, you want a ring, a nice diamond ring. I mean, you've been with the brother 25 years. Come on now. We ought to be getting something off of this. And you're always like a carrot short. Huh? Or a shine too, too dull. Or, well, you can't see them diamonds. I asked them for a lot of diamonds. I don't know why they didn't put it in there, you know. I want somebody who's going to love me with strong friendship. Huh? You know what I'm talking about, girlfriend. Come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, that's Jesus. He don't care. It's don't bother him. Dress prices don't bother him. Nothing bothers him. He said, if you can believe it, go and receive it. Huh? So you just work on your faith. That's what you do. And then you trust him to get it to you because he says he has promised to never leave you. It's a strong friendship. Huh? I can remember messing up the checkbook and my husband almost didn't want to talk to me, you know? And I was the person I didn't talk to. If I got mad, I clammed up. But it was rare for him to get that mad. He almost didn't want to talk to me. And I just went in the kitchen and fried some chicken and passed it. 
passed it by its nose. And pretty soon we was cool again. You understand what I'm saying? But see, Jesus won't treat you like that. Huh? How many times y'all have messed up your checkbook lying to God telling God, I'm I'm I promise you, God, if if you do this for me this time, I ain't gonna never do that no more. He just go, mm-hmm, okay, bless you anyway, huh? Let you use your little faith, huh? A little popcorn faith. Huh? It won't stay up with popcorn faith, huh? But we have such a covenant of strong friendship. And see that gives you peace. When you know you can't mess up and get out of this thing and mess up so bad that God won't help you and rescue you and teach you and encourage you and allow you to speak those things that be not as though they are and receive them. You see what I'm saying? He gives us a lot of latitude in our faith. So shalom actually means to be safe. That word uh, in in, uh, the history of the word from the Hebrew to the Greek also means salvation. It means to be safe in mind, body. So shalom, the peace of God, includes healing. It includes not only physical but emotional healing. And it means to be sound and safe in mind, body, and estate. E-S-T-A-T-E. That means your stuff. So he takes care of the mental, the physical, and the material. So shalom always was a threefold blessing. That you got peace of mind with your blessings. You didn't have to worry about after you sign the contract, can I afford it? You know, sometimes you look at some things you buy. You know, we, we typically buy houses. We got a 30-year commitment. How do you know what's going to happen down the road? But see, if you have a covenant of peace with God, he assures you that that house, you'll burn the mortgage one day and that house will 100% be yours. Huh? Because you have, you have safety in a state. To have safety in your state means that your house is not subject to uh, natural disasters. Huh? Hurricanes, tornadoes, any of that stuff. Listen. All the sane people and the saved people left New Orleans a long time ago just between you and me. Now, come on now, y'all. You wouldn't be caught in that place for nothing. Not the way it was years ago. So anybody with half a brain and a covenant with God went somewhere else. Unless you could outpray the voodoo man and the the, root workers and all in places, you know, people like that. But you, you were led to a place of safety. You understand what I'm saying? You were led to a place of safety by God. It means to be completed and not scattered. You know how sometimes you get bad news and you think, oh, if I do this, this will help. If I do that, that's scattered. Huh? You're complete. That means that you can dwell in safety and peace until God shows up with your answer for you. You don't have to be scattered in your thoughts and trying to grab for ideas in a panic and in fear so that you can get that off of you in a hurry. You can dwell in safety and peace and let God bring the answer to you because you have a covenant with him that assures you that. Shalom also means to be friendly. That means you can go through and have a smile on your face. Huh? I mean, friendly people have something to give. You ever see people when they, you know, you can tell if it's a saint that really is trusting God. They'll come into church and they have all kind of stuff going crazy. And they can bless everybody, glad to be here, worship God. You never know what's going on. Versus one who doesn't know they have a covenant of peace. huh? Got the long face. And if you don't notice them, they follow you around with that long face until. <laughs> Did you notice me? <laughs> huh? And their heart's not joyful anymore because they let circumstances steal their joy. Huh? And so if we are, have a covenant of peace and we walk in that peace that God ordained for us, we're friendly. We know how to have joy about us at all times. We're not hostile. We're not angry. We're not ready to tell somebody off. And, you know, somebody say, well, brother, can I, can I, 
can I pray for you? <laughs> you know, I want to bite the person that wants to pray for you, you know, just because they give you the word. And so we have, when we have God's covenant of peace, that means that you can afford to give out. You have a smile to give to somebody. You have a blessing to give to somebody. You're, you're rich on the inside because of what God's bestowed upon you. It also means to reciprocate. Hmm? If anything's missing, God will return it to you. Huh? That's what shalom means. That's why you can be so peaceful. You don't worry about who's stealing what and how they're not doing this and they're not treating you right and all this kind of stuff. God has an assurance to give you that nobody is going to walk all over you or take advantage of you or anything. You don't have to worry about people like that. It means to make amends. God makes amends. He will get return what's been stolen from you. It means to make good and to pay. Hmm? Most of you have had a, 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 a miraculous return on what's been stolen already in the new birth. The enemy stole your hope, your joy, your peace, and we've gotten all of that back. And so God will return even more to us as we allow him to, to deepen our faith so that we can believe him for those things. See, he, he never, ever, ever lets it be said that somebody robbed somebody that belonged to him and he doesn't get it back for you. He'll definitely get it back for you. I was sharing before about God has given me. I, I always liked fine things when I was even a little kid. You know, some kids just, just like stuff. You know, they uh, look at the... The stuff we got and said, hmm, I'm getting me some when I get grown. I mean, that's just normal. Every generation wants to increase over the previous generation, see? And parents don't take it wrong. You know, it's good for your kids to want better. You know, always want, not that they're looking down on what you have, you know, which sometimes they do, little snotty kids. I mean, you're doing good to be here. Come on now. <laughs> Thank God for this, and maybe you'll get something else, you know. But I, I just always did. And I thought I was supposed to have them. Huh? It's <laughs> just something in me felt like that. But I never thought it enough to want to steal or take or, you know, con people out of anything. And So as I got older, I remember one time we went on a vacation, and uh, my mother-in-law had left some jewelry she had passed away and she had left some jewelry and <laughs> i took the big stones out already so yeah i ain't leaving nothing too bad too much for the devil to steal now come on girls you know i was wearing the biggest of it but there were some smaller diamonds that somebody broke in our home and did steal and i was real upset about it and then i remember we had a prayer we had just started the ministry and we had our finance prayer Bind the devil and demand a sevenfold return. I said, devil, you're giving me back sevenfold what you stole from me in the name of Jesus. That was, I think we were married. I was married probably about 10 years at that time. Took a while. But on my 25th wedding anniversary, my husband and I were in the, we were in the jewelry store. I thought looking for me a diamond. Well, I was looking and he was backing out, trying to back out the door. And I would t- tell God, I said, God, make him buy me stuff. <laughs> that was my prayer. No word, no, you know, just a covenant. Make him do it. He can buy me stuff. Buy me stuff. And when he don't want to do it, I buy my own stuff and he don't get mad. He's, you know, I'm only passing through this earth one time. You know, I'm going to do it right. But anyway... <laughs> He was leaning on the counter. He had backed as far as he could back without getting out the door. And I'm trying to coax him over to see something. He's leaning on the counter. And there's a sign there in a box. He's leaning his elbow in this box, which you put ballots in. Win a one-carat diamond. So he looks at it, and I guess he heard from God right there. And the, I'm hearing from God one way. He's heard another. So he fills this thing out. Two months later, they call him. And they said, you're one of three finalists. 
And I guess he must have really, this brother pressed in. See, this is what I, can I talk right here? This is what bugs me about the brothers. Now, our sisters stay on our face all the time. We worshiping God, bringing the kids to church, doing this, doing that, cooking, cleaning, all. And the brother tried to act like he just watching ESPN all day long, ain't praying, ain't doing nothing. And the one prayer he asked God for, God does it for him. Come on, God. He paid absolutely nothing for one carat flawless diamond. Huh? What was so cool about it, the year that, that we got it, they had an old appraisal on it. He'd been paying, praying about the taxes on it. Did you notice? <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? He working his program. He had prayed so the t- taxes wouldn't be high on it. We found out the appraisal it was worth four times what the appraisal said. He slid under the wire and paid the tax on the lower appraisal price. Huh? But that's how God blessed me with my 25-year wedding anniversary gift. It's through him because of the sevenfold return, you see. Now, to be honest with you, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with those little diamonds that were left in that thing that were stolen. But I know that I asked God for this one. Well, he brought it free so that we didn't have to sweat. I didn't have to get ugly because that was my next move in the jewelry store. Huh? Oh, you don't know nobody? Like you didn't come in here with me? You know, that was going to be my next routine. <laughs> Embarrass the brother and he buy something real quick and let's get out of here for this woman get real ugly. But I didn't have to go there. But that's your shalom with God. After that, that theft and I had prayed about it, I never thought about it again. And then God shows up because he is faithful. He holds on to everything that's stolen from us and will return it to us with abundance. Huh? With abundance. Amen. It means to make an end. It means stuff doesn't have to jump off in your life all the time. Huh? You can be peaceful. You can anticipate good all the time. You don't have to anticipate what's going to happen, the what ifs. Huh? We don't live like that. It means to pay again. Whatever it is that you owe someone, God will pay that. It means to make perfect, not just shabby stuff, but perfect stuff. It means to perform, to prosper, means to make restitution. So when you have a covenant of peace with God, you have all those things. The shalom or the peace of God also leads to fruitfulness, life, and prosperity. So if the devil's giving you a death sentence, you have a covenant of peace with God that cancels that death sentence. It leads to life and prosperity. Amen? So if God has to resurrect something and raise something up again in your life, he will do it. He will breathe new life on old dreams. huh? He will breathe life on them again because you have a covenant of peace. If it disturbs you that something's been taken away from you, you know God doesn't want that. So he promises you the assurance that you'll get it back. But in the meantime, you can live in the joy of the Lord. And the fruit of peace in your life so that you're not disturbed about anything. You have a composure about it because you know God has it and he's taking care of it. So we're going to give you some examples of Jesus's dealings with people because he is the healer at healing school. If you turn to Matthew chapter 9, you'll see two men who are blind following Jesus. Matthew 9 verse 27 says, and when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. 
Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were open. So they said they believed, and the evidence of their faith was made real. Huh? They didn't lie when they, said, when they told him they believed he could do it. And he said, See that no man know it, but they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. So when Jesus touches your need, you can't help but tell somebody about it. But what we need to know about this is them. this. Jesus had these men following him for a while. Now you might say, why didn't his compassion make him stop and pray for them and lay hands on them? Why did they have to follow him around? Why is that? He says <clears throat> they followed him for a while. What happens when you make a commitment or you make a determination for something? Say you decide that you're going to get healed at this meeting. And at some point you might say, well, I wonder if God's going to do it or maybe he's not going to do it or how do they do it? Will she lay hands on me? Can I just get it from worship? You know, a lot of thoughts go through your mind when you're at the point or desiring something from God. Sometimes the longer you wait, the more discouraged you get. That happens to people all the time. But it's not, that's not true when you're following Jesus. If you are following Jesus, your faith increases as you follow him. You got me? So here we see an example of why he did not turn around and stop and heal these men why he took his time he knew they were in the crowd he knew they were following him but he also knew that there was a certain level their faith had to get to before he could ask that question you notice he didn't ask that question until they had followed him a ways and he got into that house and then he knew the time was right to release their faith to receive what they wanted from him. So this may be what God wants from you, to follow him for a season. You know, you see it all the time at Benny Hinn meetings. People will say, well, I went to his meeting. Uh, this, this is my third meeting that I've been in, and I finally got my healing. Huh? Don't consider following God a one-shot deal ever. Don't get discouraged if it doesn't happen the first time you step out there to receive from God. Just keep following him. Because if if you look at what happened, as they walked, their faith must have gotten stronger. Because if it were strong enough to be healed, he would have stopped and healed them before he got into that house. Didn't he do that with the woman with the issue of blood? She came up behind him and touched him, and he knew power went out of him. Why? Because her faith was released at that point. It was strong enough to say, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be whole. And she pulled that healing out of him with her faith. And so that's what Jesus does with all of us. Every example that you see in the Bible, he touched those people at the right time so that they could release their faith. Your faith has to be at a certain strength before it can get what it is that you're looking for from God. That's many times why he sends you to meetings like this, because the atmosphere is stronger in corporate faith here. There is a healing anointing here. And so that all helps to ripen your faith to the point where you can reach out and get what God has for you. It's just that simple. Sometimes it just takes sitting down and listening to the Bible being preached for an hour or so. And then you get up and go to the altar and release your faith and it manifests immediately like that. And so Jesus, though, always touches your need. So these gentlemen had a need for their faith to be built before he could turn around and minister to them. And that's exactly what happened. He made them follow him. Now think about it. Blind men wanting to get to Jesus and he keeps walking. Huh? Isn't that what happened? It seems rude, doesn't it? How many of us would do that, being led by the Holy Spirit and let someone follow until their faith got to the level where it needed to be before we touched them? 
And many times people want to minister to you so quickly they don't give a chance for the unction to come when your faith is ripe. And so many times we walk away without helping people really because we get too emotional in it. But Jesus always did things well. He did everything exactly the way God wanted it to be done, and he always got excellent results. And so here we see Jesus touching their need because they had not just a need for healing, but sometimes people have a need for confidence. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes if you haven't been, if you haven't had sight, you're not confident in your steps. You're kind of halting. You may be dependent on people to help you. And so having them walk behind him built up their confidence. So he not only touched their eyes and take, took care of the sight problem, but the method he used to get it done took care of the confidence problem, you see. So they stepped, and the more they followed him, the stronger they got, the more confident they got, the more sure-footed they got. So they really just walked into their healing. He was just the point of contact to release the anointing for them. But as they walked behind him, they got stronger. They got more confident. They got more understanding of their own ability to let their faith work so that they could be healed. So following Jesus always builds faith. And things always happen according to our faith. It's according to your faith. So don't ever get nervous about the quality of your faith. It can always get stronger. So if God needs to do things to get your faith stronger so that you can be healed, he will do just those things. Okay, turn to Luke chapter 6. Our next example. And Luke chapter 6, 6. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. Now, how many of you are right-handed? And how many of you know if anything happened to that hand, what a disadvantage it would be for you? So really, the right hand is symbolic of strength, of ability, of talent, of ableness and how to do things and being able to do things. So here it says he was in there teaching. In verse 7, the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man with the withered hand, rise up and stand forth in the midst So in other words, he made this man stand up right in front of everybody. He didn't hide it. He didn't try and pretend like he wasn't anointed or he wasn't going to try and help the man. He did it bold, right in front of the devil, right in front of the Pharisees to make a statement. And he said here, rise up and stand forth. And Jesus said to him, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to, or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said, stretch forth your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So you see here a man with a withered hand being somewhat made of an example in the synagogue now jesus can't do anything without anybody's faith this man wanted to be healed but in order for jesus to get him healed he had to get a certain level of faith into this man also so with all these religious people staring at him and wanting him dead and daring him to do anything we're going to throw you out of the synagogue if you do it this is a sabbath day you're not allowed to touch nobody you can't heal anybody you can't preach on the sabbath day and so there jesus is standing there and he knows the pressure that is against him but also the pressure is against this man too because this is his quote-unquote home church where they don't believe in 
and they don't believe in. I see, it's one thing to sneak over to a Jesus meeting and get healed, but suppose Jesus came to your church and made you stand up and get it in front of the deacons and the elders and the, huh? What pressure you would be under, huh? So really, here's this man with his hand, and he's thinking, man, this is my chance. But here all these front row and the second row and the third row i mean they probably had ministers back to the 10th row in the synagogue everybody with a robe on was a minister huh and they all staring at jesus and daring the people to go to his meetings and if they see you at a jesus meeting they write your name down and come visit you and give you the left foot of fellowship so the question is a question of strength for this man not outer strength not strength in his hand, but inner strength. Do you want to be well enough to risk being an enemy of all the people that you've been friends with all this time? Huh? Are you strong enough on the inside? Are you strong enough in your desire for what God promised you that you would get it right here in public with all these people watching that don't like Jesus? Huh? Don't like healing ministers. And say they all take your money for nothing. You got me? And so really, Jesus had to touch his need for strength. So what does he do? He stands him up in front of everybody. I see, Jesus could have said, now listen, I'm having a meeting at so-and-so's house tomorrow. You can come over there and I'll heal you. I understand what's going on here. But he always touches your need. If that man's going to stay healed, he's got to get kicked out of that place. Huh? Never to return again. Because if you go back to that place, you'll be sitting there intimidated by all the religious devils, scared to do anything. So Jesus is talking to this man. He says, stand up in front of everybody. Hmm? Are you man enough to stand up and get your healing in front of all these people that hate me and will hate you if you do what I tell you, if you get healed? They're telling you it's not legal for you to get healed today. Was it legal yesterday? If it was, why didn't they heal him yesterday? Huh? See, it's never legal for religion to heal you. Because religion has no power to heal you. Huh? Absolutely no power. That man's hand been drawn up forever. And he'd been coming in the synagogue, hoping God would show up one day and help him. And the Pharisees despise the weak. Huh? And they despise the strong. Religious devils hate everything. And so here he is and he's wondering, oh, Lord, if that man makes me stand up, I'm toast around here. And Jesus said, just stand up and be toast, but you be a heel toast. You're a toast with a hand that works now. Huh? You can, you can go out and work. You can lift up holy hands. You can tell the Pharisees, what? I ain't coming no more. Huh? That's what you tell them. Huh? He touched his strength because as long as he sat in dead religion, not looking to do anything, he's going to be weak. So Jesus touches his hand, which is a symbol of his strength, but he also made him do it openly for inner strength. So he could stand up and be a man and reach out for God and not care about who didn't like it, not care who made fun of him, not care who tried to steal his healing from by telling him he's in the wrong place. Huh? There's some of you can't tell nobody y'all were here today. I don't care. Don't tell nobody. But keep coming and get what, get what God has for you. I don't care if you tell or not. Huh? But get what you need from God. That's the important thing, that you get what you need from God. Okay, Matthew chapter 9 is another example there. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 20. It says, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him. Now Jesus is out in a huge crowd of people. There's a ruler of the synagogue that comes up and asks him to come to his house and heal his daughter. But in the meantime, this other woman comes up and approaches him. 
And it says, she came behind him and touched the hem of his garment, for she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. Shalom. Everything. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Restored. Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Your faith has made you whole. Now, why did he tell her that? Because she was obviously afraid to ask him to minister to her. She came up and touched him. And one one, uh, version of this story says that she said within herself, If I may but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. Now, one of the reasons that she couldn't ask him for ministry is that she wasn't supposed to be out among people. She had an issue of blood which made her unclean, and she was supposed to be confined to a home. And this is probably one of the reasons she had gone to many doctors for many years, and the Bible says she didn't get any better. In fact, she got worse going to the doctor. Now, one thing a doctor cannot do is give you new life, stop disease, He can only treat disease once it's manifested. Now, everybody's trying to get into preventive medicine, but they don't know what they're trying to prevent. And every week is something different that's going to help you. One week is uh, noni juice and herbs, and and then next month is something else. You know, whatever the the pyramid people are selling this month, you know, (laughs) You got to sign up and be a club and be a director and a dealer and all this kind of stuff just to get well. So we don't know what it is that causes the prevention thing. The only thing I can tell you is that when you have a covenant of peace with God, you are promised no disease. And that's something the the doctors cannot promise you. And see, this is what woke this lady up when she realized she was broke. Now, how many of you know when you broke, the doctor really don't want to see you? Huh? So, so that's why many times people come to God as a last resort. They've spent everything. They've gone through every treatment. They were hoping it would get better. But if a disease is a chronic disease, it is only going to get worse. So at some point, you're going to have to see the great physician for what it is that you, you need. See, many people don't know, but you can trust God with your body. huh? You can trust him with it. He won't let you die because everybody says it's too late and you're in the last stages. I said, oh, good. I'm in the last stages of this. Well, then I'm entering the first day, the first stage of divine health. I'm glad this stage is over because I'm going into divine health now. huh? And so she had said within herself, if I could but touch His garment I shall be clean. Why? Because all these laws about what's clean and not clean were against her. She had everything working against her. But I don't care what you have working against you. The Holy Spirit will give you an answer. He will tell you there's a door, there's a key, there's something you can do. He will open a door for you to get what you need from God. And so the reason Jesus told her to not be afraid Because she had probably tried to get ministered to from the Pharisees and all those other people, and they rebuked her. Oh, sister, you're unclean. You can't be here. Huh? So what it meant was she had to get healed first and then get back into church. Thank God we have a better covenant. Thank God we have a better covenant. Thank God the church is a place for sick people. It's a place for people who have needs. It's a place for people who want help. It's a place for people who have needs. We never turn anybody away. Never. Everybody's welcome here. You know, some churches you go in, if you wore the wrong looking dress, they look at you funny. You don't even know what you did wrong until you, you know what I'm saying. They look you up one side and down the other. Huh? Well, if Jesus came in, they'd do the same thing to him, so you might as well leave. huh? He wouldn't be welcome either. huh? And so we have to understand that when God has ordained something for us, he will find a way to get it to you. 
so this lady needed to have her her not just her body touched but Jesus also touched her confidence, her self-esteem, her ability to rise up and be like everybody else. Because before she was shunned and she was an outcast. So he not only touched her need of her healing. In fact, she touched him and took it. The healing was a simple part. The part that was difficult was to get her to feel comfortable being around people again. And he gave her a clean bill of health. He said, don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. He said, your faith did that for you. See, the people he'll make an example of, could you imagine being at a Jesus meeting and think you don't belong anywhere and trying to steal the healing, and then he yanks you up in front of everybody and makes a good example out of you. In other words, this woman right here, she's been sick for all these years, and y'all treated her bad. You wouldn't go and, and look after her. You know, yeah, she's ceremonially unclean, but you can go and visit somebody like that. You can go and touch somebody. You can go and talk to her. You can make some soup for her. You can help her. You can take her where she needs to go. You never did anything for her, yet her faith is greater than yours is. Huh? So he would make examples of people to take away not only the sickness, but what it did to them on the inside. Sometimes people suffer more from what society says what is wrong with them than the actual disease. You know, we've got people who have AIDS, HIV positive. They don't want to come to church. They think church people look down on them or, or whatever. And so whenever we have opportunity, we need to make those people feel welcome because they are. Jesus treats them no different than anybody with a cold or a hangover or bad bill paying habits or whatever else our sin is huh he looks at us all the same so we're all welcome in god's house so the woman of issue with the issue of blood not only got her life source touched he took that death thing off of her because she was surely going to bleed to death had she not but he also restored her confidence and her position in society all of that needed to be done with her or he would have just let her touch him and get her healing if she didn't need anything else. In Mark 10, turn there, we see the story of Bartimaeus. In Mark 10:46, they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Huh? Now that seems to be the cry for somebody who wants their sight. Isn't that something? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he would hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind men, saying to him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. Yeah, five minutes ago they were slapping him away. <laughs> you know, be a good cheer. You know, come on, brother. Yeah. It reminds me of the stupid. I'm gonna just, I'll just tell you this. It's stupid. I love it, though. It's a crazy little commercial. There's a, a commercial on now. You've seen the Domino Pizza commercial where the kid is out there. He wants to get in a party so bad. A little nerdy-looking kid. Huh? And he's got a box of, do, of uh, what you got, DiGiorno, not Domino, DiGiorno pizza, you know, home-baked pizza. He just stuck it in his little what kind of oven and got it lukewarm. And he scratches, puts pizza, writes pizza on his shirt like he a delivery kid and puts uh, duct tape over the label on the, and goes and shows it at the door. And his brother's standing there looking real. He said, pizza delivery, huh? Well, come on in here, man. What you waiting on? You know, <laughs> just one little pizza for that, you know. This is what this reminds me of. The bad usher smacking him away at first, you know, if the kid hadn't showed up with the pizza, he never would have gotten in that party. Huh? But that's what they did to Bartimaeus, pushing him away, get away from here. And then, oh, come on in, man, what you waiting on? He wants to see you now, you know, you're all right now. 
So Bartimaeus finally gets to see Jesus. You can let crowds discourage you. Huh? God knows where you are, and he already knows that he's going to heal you. He knows that. So don't ever let time, waiting, crowds, preachers preaching long. We do what we need to do to get faith in you so you can, you know what I'm saying? We want to do the job right. So Bartimaeus, it says here, verse 50, And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, what will what what is it that you want me to do for you? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Now, most people would say it should be obvious, Jesus, what this man needs. Huh? That's because you're looking in the natural. If you look in the spirit, you'll see something's missing. Hmm? Jesus never does things unnecessarily. He never does things to uh, make an example out of a person to their hurt. He's not unkind. But what, what do you think? Why did he ask him this? What do you want me to do for you? Because he needed his faith. You never get it unless you say it first. He had to say it. So that Jesus had his faith to work it with. So that faith could give permission for the release of the blessing in his life. See, it may be obvious what people need, but if that's not... Suppose that man had said, well, you know, give me some money, Jesus. Which people do. You understand what I'm saying? They'll they'll want to say, well, I'd rather have my finances straightened out than to have a healing. I've heard people had to do that to me. That's why I always ask people, what do you want me to pray for you for? Because their faith has to be out there in the realm of the spirit before God will release that to them. So always remember that. It's according to your faith. What you desire is expressed by your words. Nobody can express that for you. Um, Nobody can express that for you. And so he says that I would receive my sight. He says, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. And immediately he received his sight. Now, what else did Jesus touch beside this man's sight? I mean, his faith was already out there. All he had to do was obey the command of the prophet. And he walked off and he was seen. But Jesus not only touched his sight, but he also touched his dignity. Now, where do we see that? He threw away the robe. He threw away the robe. The robe was always worn by beggars to distinguish them as beggars. So whenever somebody walked upon them, they knew to give them money because they needed money. They couldn't work for whatever reason or whatever. And it says that when Jesus called him, he stood up and threw the robe off. In other words, his faith told him, "Uh uh-uh, you beg no more. You beg no more. Today, you are going to take care of yourself. Today, you're going to fend for yourself. Today, you're going to be self-sufficient. So Jesus touched not only his eyes, but he touched his dignity. He allowed him to be normal like everybody else and not dependent upon people. Many times, beggars took abuse from people. You know, if somebody was in a bad mood, they just beat up on the beggar. Ah, get away from me. You're bothering me. I don't have nothing for you. Huh? And so people who beg are accustomed to that, that kind of abuse, and it takes your dignity away from you. But Jesus gave his back, him, him, his back to him, and we know it because he threw the robe off before he was healed. He said, uh-uh, <laughs> you know, get it or not, I'm done with this life. I want a new life. And I'm stepping into that new life. And that move, one move was enough for Jesus to tell him, I don't even have to touch you. Your faith has already done it for you. Just keep walking like you're walking. Just keep walking like you're walking. Just keep walking like you're walking. Your faith has already made you whole. Amen? One more example, okay? In Mark chapter, <clears throat> I think it's fifth. Let me see. 
Mark chapter, I hope it's five. Yeah, Mark chapter five and verse one. They came over to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. Now, that just means a demonic spirit. It wasn't the Holy Ghost, okay? Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. So his strong devils had possessed him, because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. So here's a man that no man can help. He couldn't go to a doctor. And the doctor would leave the room in a hurry. And he says when he saw the doctor didn't want his money, the doctor said, "Uh -uh, I don't need it that bad. uh." Nobody could help him. And the devil made him torment himself, cutting himself with stones and crying. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and says, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he had said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. So the spirit responded by talking and begging to stay. Huh? Don't get mixed up with devils, folks, because they don't leave too easy. They want to stay. Once they find a place to dwell, they want to stay there. They keep trying to, you think you're free, you cast them out, next thing you know, they're talking to you again. And he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And right away Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 swine, and they were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus to see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were scared of that. And they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and so concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. So they don't, some people don't like miracle workers. If you're planning on serving God and working miracles, you need to know that. It says, and when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Now this man wants to follow Jesus. And generally, Jesus accommodates people. But this is one time he refuses. Now, why? This man had a need to be delivered from demonic possession. He wasn't just oppressed of the devil and would get some relief sometime. He was cut off totally from society, lived in the tombs, lived in the dead. He was like a dead person being tormented day and night by his own hand, afflicting himself. That's how possessed he was. But here Jesus tells him, <clears throat> however, Jesus allowed him not, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Now here you see Jesus touching not just his mind and his heart and his soul, But he also touches his relationships because Jesus tells him the one thing that this man has been robbed of by the devil. And this is the important thing to understand about God's shalom, about his peace, restoring everything. When Jesus touches you, he touches your need, not just the physical, but the emotional. He restores everything. He straightens out everything in your life. 
And Jesus knows that this man in his heart had a family that he loves and the family loves him. And they've all been robbed of the companionship and fellowship of this man because the devil's stolen him from his family. The night's probably the, the, if he's got wife and children, could you imagine having a loved one somewhere and you don't know where they are? People tell you, well, I saw him a couple of weeks ago. He was out there in the tomb still cutting himself. Was he still alive? What did he look like? So Jesus, when he talks about peace, when he talks about a covenant of peace, when he touches your need, he touches every single need you have at one shot. So he gets this man sane and in his right mind, and then he restores him to his family. He said, you go to your family right away. And he knew the family would receive him. So you've got to know this about God. You've got loved ones, estranged loved ones. Maybe kids you haven't seen in a while. Somebody divorced you, left you. God knows when the reconciliation can take place, and he knows that they are prepared to see you. He makes sure their hearts are right toward you to get you back together again. That's what shalom is. There's a lot of times people say, well, I don't want to go back there. You know, you don't know the condition. Uh, 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 uh. Hmm? God sees the whole picture. He knew this man's family would want to see him again. He knew their hearts were longing to see him. Jesus will not tell you to do something that ends in turmoil. He'll take, give you a covenant of peace and it'll all be peaceful. He'll return everything right back like it's supposed to be. huh? It'll look like nobody's ever been missing. huh? Absolutely. Oh, John went and left me and the kids 25 years ago, honey. John's sitting up there now looking like he's been there 25 years, honey. It's, it's remote control. A little grayer, a little fatter, a little this, a little that. But John's still sitting up there in his chair like he's never gone anywhere. That's shalom. Restore everything. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Don't close your heart to God's shalom. Let him restore everything. It's important to God to keep his word to you. And it's important for him. He cannot deny himself. Even when we're faithless, the Bible says, he remains faithful. You still mad at John? You spent a lot of years taking care of the kids by yourself. Oh, rascal, he better not show up. But see, when God restores, he'll touch your heart. You said, look at old John. Shoot, I can't imagine him being gone. Where you been, John? Tell me where you been. Come on, let's sit down and have some coffee talk about it. Huh? That's the way it is when God gives you his peace. Amen? Everything's restored just like it was, like the devil never tampered with anything. And it's even greater because old John mended his wicked ways. He Maybe he want to go to church. Lift them, lift them little daddy hands up there and worship God. John, get on up there. Do your thing. Huh? Get on in here to church with us, John. We serving God around here now. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Jesus always touches your need. Don't just go away with just physical healing. Don't just get your body whole. But let him touch every single need that you have. Amen. Why don't we put on some music and we're going to pray for people now.